0: Welcome back to the Keep Going Podcast. In this episode, Michael and I discuss how to add quality training into a base phase. We talk through a specific session that Michael jumped into a few weeks ago that's in the middle of this experimental base phase that he's been playing with. And along the way, we cover what I call three basics of training that I use in my Telos model. theory, effort, economy, and efficiency, and I dive into those pretty deeply. We also cover a lot of other ground, so don't worry if you feel like it might get a little dry. It really doesn't. For those of you who have been missing the nuts and bolts training discussions that we've had occasionally, this one is for you. Now at the end of this episode, I tease a new podcast I've planned that dives deeper into the practical training weeds. I state that this would launch in early September, but it's been delayed with the passing of my father that we discussed last week. So, it'll be coming soon to a podcast feed near you, my friends. So, without any further delay, we bring you an episode we call Loaded Optimizing Training in a Base Phase. Godspeed, listeners. Godspeed.
1: I like where we landed this week. Yeah. We discussed the topic, it started during the uh, telos workout this morning and i'm real pumped about it because it's got acute um
0: relevance to what yeah doing. but it, but but be patient with us as we unpack it yeah because it's a it's uh it's not quite um total freestyle but it is uh, conceptually we're both grounded in the concepts we're going to be talking about today but we haven't put it all together in any sort of cohesive way because we literally just came up with it. Yeah.
1: Let's give them the, the clip notes so they know what they're getting into. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh shit. Me?
0: (laughs) I can do it if you want.
1: Well, okay. So yeah, Uh, a few weeks back, a few episodes back, we were talking about how I'm in a base building phase, having a lot of fun doing it, spending a lot of time doing zone two volume, doing, you know, some speed work, but really just listening to the body, getting in touch with paces and feeling and, and uh, just really understanding um, this time to kind of explore and uh, become acutely aware of what I'm thinking and feeling when I'm doing the workouts at proper volume. Yeah, And I've gotten up to proper volume. I've been doing a lot of work, probably 20 hours a week or more, um, including some recovery or not including recovery after that. So it's, uh, it's been really nice. And the name of the game for me has been to just build the volume, build the schedule, build the schedule around my work schedule, which everybody, if you're probably listening, you probably, most of us have jobs and we have a lot of stressors and we have time. So my main um, goal for the first you maybe two months of this process has just been to play um, with the pieces and put them together on a weekly cadence that makes sense to me, like swim bike run on these various days, long runs. Um, have been on Sundays instead on Saturdays because the long bike kind of works better on Saturdays, long swim on Monday, and sometimes I've been playing with putting the swim on Sunday, all that kind of stuff, all that kind of playing around right now in the multi-sport realm, and so I've kind of like checked this box of feeling sufficient in my timelines, my schedule, and just getting acutely aware again of what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling, getting in touch with that, the kind of... uh, the sensory load that I've been taking on. And- uh, Well, let's
0: clarify that real quick because mm-hmm. we're gonna talk about load in a couple of different ways. Sure. So you're, what you're talking about more is about your total volume load and distribution of load. Those things mm-hmm. are set, and yeah. or, or they're setting. They're settling in a way that's really, really good. Right?
1: Right, yeah, and just knowing that if you're running a marathon training block, you're out there at five and six a.m., All of these mornings and you're spending your Saturdays doing them and if you're in the multi-sport world you're probably doing some two a days and going into the evening workouts and all that stuff you just spend a lot of time working out so it uh, naturally it kind of we we were able to drop a few conclusions and ask a few questions at this point in time and that's when I was uh, talking to Steve after a critical velocity workout Uh, it was four to six by one mile this morning with 92nd um, recovery and I was on five I felt pretty good and you know wanted to take it easy and didn't go out for the six because my legs felt a little dead and it just got me thinking um, what's the difference between multi-sport running or where my paces in an Ironman are closer to the eight minute per mile region um, just Maybe in between seven and eight and a half would be a good day. Uh, my marathon paces are probably 645 to seven minutes per mile kind of a... On when a, you're just running. When yeah. I'm just running. And,
0: and it, there's a big discrepancy there.
1: Yeah, There's a big yeah. discrepancy. And so it started thinking like, let's go ahead and lump multi-sport in. Can we lump that with the ultra distance, the 50 miles and above, where it's like a, a whole different idea of endurance and what exactly are we calling upon for these weekly so this critical velocity workout at you know I did it at like 6:20 pace this morning um it was just fascinating to me how much of that can i be doing how much is um i mean how much is too much it gets fascinating to to start like unpeeling it or peeling it all back all the layers and thinking about ultimately what is a progression is it linear is it does it take on some type of a you know, circular fashion like
0: what are we where are we going with this, Steve? It's <laughs> so it's awesome. Just for clarification's sake, critical velocity in my system is settles halfway between your ten k pace and your um half marathon pace so it's 10 seconds faster than your half marathon pace 10 seconds slower than your 10k pace generally it's sort of sits in there it's And the, fascinating and t- the uh, reason I, and, I, and I came up with this is I think uh, I can't remember the name of the guy who I got it from but this was probably in the early aughts I figured out oh uh, you know half marathon stuff when you extend it for really, really long periods of time, really messes with people's heads. But the 5k, 10k, the 10k stuff is really challenging and hard to do and especially hard to do over extended periods. Um, and so I sort of stumbled into the idea and then there were already broken tempos as kind of concepts. Um, but you know, at that time I was really, really heavily influenced by energy systems and thinking about what actual energy systems were in play. And I was studying the exercise physiology about it and all those other things. Um, and so I, basically had read this guy had this idea that if you kind of split the difference between the 10K and the half marathon, you kind of get a, you get a double dip in this sort of almost borderline VO2 work, but you're also getting, you know, you're basically doing anaerobic and aerobic threshold work simultaneously kind of at the same time benefiting. And then the volume is, the, the the distance of each of those reps is shorter so that you can handle it, but you keep the rest really, really short so that they're kind of operating in that system. So people could think about critical velocity kind of like, broken tempos but because you're breaking the tempo up it's going at a little bit faster pace. So that yeah, just to get, awesome. Just to give some grounding with that mm-hmm. um, about what that pace is um, and then in that system you might be saying okay, but then let's go okay, I just want people to get that context but then the question you're asking and let me re- see if I can rephrase it in a different way like if I'm going to be running my marathon my, my race pace in an ultra or in an Ironman or half Iron even but mostly an Ironman um, what's the relevancy of doing these various paces, and why would I be wanting to worry about what my uptick is in my anaerobic VO2 aerobic threshold? What's going on there? What why do these things matter, and what's important with them? Do they at all in these events? Um, and it's really relevant because I have I coach a good number of people who do. I've for years coached triathletes, especially Ironman. Um, who then you come to me for the run portion just Mm -hmm. like an Ironman athlete or triathlete will go do a master swim program. They'll ride with, they'll have a cycling coach or they'll ride with a group that sort of dictates the kind of work they do and then they'll run with a running group typically. And over the last 15 to 20 years, it's gotten much more coalesced around a single triathlon coach. But for you, you're kind of cobbling it together because you're self-coaching. So you're like, in this process you think what the fuck am I doing and why am I doing it right because one of the things you said to me is like well I just felt like I should come out today like I just I felt felt like like I needed needed to to like knock (laughs) the cobwebs
1: off get some speed going and it's like what is
0: MGP Marathon goal pace Like It's like, not relevant In your it, event You see what I'm saying You're, It's like, as fast as you can go While still coming off the bike After 112 miles Or whatever it is that, What is it 116 miles I forget how far it it's is It's like 112 Yeah so you come off the bike I mean you swam for a, a, Like an hour Right 45 minutes Hard yeah. Then you in the in a in open water, sometimes in the ocean. Right. And, and so you
1: get out, you're off Fritz, and so then you go ride hundred and twelve miles where you're all focused. of us ride way too hard. <laughs> yes. And we
0: never really know how to take it easy. Well you're trying to <laughs> make you're trying to ride on the edge of what you can do, and you're not really because so much of what happens with cycling is is data related. Yeah. Not sensory. I'm finally
1: getting data related on the on the bike because the running you can kind of you can you can go by perceived effort a little bit more well, closer to, to the
0: to the ass end of the of the marathon. So it's well in in an Ironman you definitely have to be ready to get off the bike and go by effort because if you do have some kind of standard now you might have a high a uh, 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 sort of a limiter or a governor on your heart rate because that would be smart if you're going to go 26.2 miles, you came off the bike. Can't just be redlining Correct. from like mile one. It'll go real but It could go yeah. really bad because you, especially if you didn't get all the fueling in that you needed to when you were on the bike. So, so much of that is important. But then again, going back to the question is, but so why if I'm running 730 on the fast end of MGP, and I'm not ever training at 730 paces because why would you? Because you don't know if it's 730 or 745 or eight minutes or 810 or 815. I mean, you basically said somewhere between 7 and 830. That's a lot. It's, that's it's, a really wide range. So then, if that's so fluid, then why would your run training have? Paces and zones and all those other things. It just seems like you should just spend a whole bunch of time doing the other. And I'm gonna give you four or five reasons why you wanna do those things. And, and 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 this will be relevant for anybody doing ultra stuff. This will be very, very relevant. But I think it'll be really relevant to all of our road runners who are paying attention, who are wondering when they're doing marathon prep why their coach has them doing paced various paces or various heart rates and they, and, 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 you know, some of our, um, series on, um, the systems is about this, but I think this is a great way to kind of pull those different systems the metabolic, the anaerobic, the aerobic, anaerobic, you know, all those pieces of the puzzle coming, bringing them together. Um, so did I, did I frame it? Yeah, that's perfect.
1: It's perfectly framed. Uh, is it safe to assume that we can... In drawing these conclusions is it safe to assume that can we talk about is it base building or is it separate or is it all the time how do you how do you visualize these systems being well of course you can see where my head is right now it's just like there's probably I'm assuming during base building there's a different allocation of each of the 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 paces Let's just call them paces. And then there is when we're actually in a training block months
0: out from a race yeah. execution. Yeah, there are. And um although if you look at my program um and you dropped in, you would you would you would be recognizing that um there isn't a lot of that. Um because what I do is I do it from a mindset or um mindset slash Uh, attitude perspective. So what I mean, because I do everything all the time, because I I have to as a coach, because I'm not working with people one-on-one. I'm working in a group environment. And we've got multiple targets for those people depending on where they're at. So some folks will be wanting to run a half or a 10K. I've got some people doing a 10K program this spring. I mean, this fall. And I've got, you know, a marathon that's... I've got people running uh, Berlin, Chicago... McCurdy Train, Indianapolis, um, Indianapolis uh, New York City, Philly, and CIM. Okay, that's end of September all the way to the first week of December. Where in the world would you create a really individualized, periodized program in that while allowing everyone to catch the vibe of the crew and be in that group environment and do Which some arguably of arguably the vibe of the crew is going to be
1: more advantageous. Yeah,
0: than anything it, else. I, I will ask, I'll at least say it's equal. Yeah, for right? sure. I'm watching some new people in my group. New people come to my group who are who have been self coached. Yeah, who are like, holy shit! Yeah, I just got 20 seconds per mile faster. How did that happen in mm. the summer? It's because group think is amazing. Now it's also dangerous because yeah. you'll sometimes stretch too far and push too hard and. Um, but anyway, so my model is everything all the time because of the vagarities of the way that I operate and work. Um, but last week we talked about the tone method, which is big about base. It's like creating this huge, gigantic That's where bass. the
1: reconcile is kind of in my head, thinking literally in a black and white thinker, trying to figure out what is and what isn't. How do you reconcile
0: So my answer is I had to give that frame of doing everything all the time so people would understand because it'd be like, Well, he's talking out of both sides of his mouth. I am because I have to, because this is a business. This is how mm-hmm. I make a living. I don't I don't have another job. This is what I do. And in order to do it I have to I have to split the baby in the biblical way of saying Mm -hmm. how do you do you keep you know which what are you going to do like you actually have to split the baby and it's not always optimal but i try to, but have been splitting the baby for 25 years and i'm pretty good at it right Mm -hmm. and everybody seems to be relatively happy optimally what would i do if i have an athlete coming in who's going to be getting ready for one command performance occasionally i do that i have athletes who i work with one-on-one and we just design it but they still stay in my model why do they stay in my model because ultimately what things you can do in a base phase is you mo- you toggle away from paces, you toggle away from heart rates, you toggle away from metrics. And what I would argue is you go primarily on efforts, and then you undersell all the efforts. So what mm. I would call is sub-maximal training. Now when I mentioned Undersell meaning be conservative? Be conservative. Yeah. Submaximal. Any whatever maximum is for 10K, like the fastest end. Not not the fastest you can run for 10K, but whatever the fast end of that sort of structure would be for you. Could right now if you're thinking about if you are a if you're a marathoner and you're thinking about 650 per mile or seven minutes per mile, you know, that's like sort of in that three hour range, right? Then 10K pace is gonna be somewhere in that 615, 630, 620, you know, that range, right? So what's the benefit of doing that work? Well, the benefit of doing that work is that it really trains your body to use, to stay in the anaerobic, to stay in the aerobic zone when the anaerobic is coming on, and there's a benefits to that. And then there's other pieces of the puzzle there that are happening there too. But when I would, in a math, in a base phase, what I would suggest is you do the 10K workout as it's written, right, mm-hmm. but you slow down and you go on what feels appropriate. And because you're in a base phase, it's six twi- six, the fast end of that's not going to be appropriate. What's going to be more appropriate is something somewhere in that six, you'll probably find just by going on your efforts that you're in that 6.30, 6.35, if the weather's good and you're having a good day, you might creep down as you're going along. But within that, you're getting all the uptake and all the benefit that might be happening physiologically from that pace or that zone. But you're also not cooking it. and and like today when you started to cook it because it was getting a little hot Mm -hmm. um you backed out Mm -hmm. because there's no imperative because the race is so far removed from where you're currently located in your training that there's a fluidity and a flexibility what i call grace you give yourself that grace now i argue that grace should be granted all the way through the entirety of the cycle (laughs) at every point along the line and this is a problem for many american distance runners as they don't Bring grace in. I think well. we have
1: a, a huge problem with thinking, with telling ourselves that it's easier than what it actually is, and I think that that's a huge, a huge problem, in, in and this the culture, is, of, and that's of why,
0: that's why this phase of training is so important. Yeah, what you're going through right now is you're recalibrating efforts. Yeah, because you're never going to maximum. You're always articulating and arguing for a sub maximal performance every single session you come out to do because you don't want to cook it too hot, but you also want to play because here's the thing, this is my argument. One of the things I argued against the Mavetone method is it's fucking boring. Yeah, it is. It's almost it's like it. it, it I don't know. And I
1: and you I'm have your, to be really grounded in the piece of of the event. And you got to believe in it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, You know,
0: the, and the woman who wrote that, you know, who who we the reason why we started that was she yeah. was like she believes in it. She's a hundred percent sold on it to the point where even my arguments that I made to her when I sent her that that episode, I said it to her a week couple of weeks early because mm-hmm. I had it finished. She was like, I think I'm gonna stay doing what I'm doing. Thank you for your input, which is great. I, I appreciate that she be- so believes in the model and the method and I think that's fantastic. But I don't know that very many people that I work with would ever be able to do a mafetone method. They're always gonna cheat. You need it. a little chaos in the system. And so my view is <laughs> if you're gonna cheat it, let's cheat it in a way yeah. that makes a lot of sense. So, um, So what I would say with that is like, okay, so what is the value of doing multi-pace work for an Ironman? Because this is the formula. Let's come back to that question. So I'm going to give you four basic reasons, and then we'll play around. Okay, Then we'll mm-hmm. play around with either those four reasons, or we'll play into more specific stuff. So the first one is, is that you're learning to adjust effort and you're trying to categorize effort in some kind of way. So 5k pace, it doesn't really matter what it is as long as you have a kind of a basic idea of the zone. For you that would be like 5.50, 5.45, somewhere like that. For sure. Run only, right? Run only, focused on the run only, that's what it would be. And so what you would do is you just say, okay, well that's that's kind of the pace zone but it'll probably be a little slower so I'll just go out a little slower and then I'll get faster as I proceed. Again, submaximal. Now I want to make this clarification. If, I've, if it's happened once, it's happened 10 times. <laughs> or 100 times. People, for some reason, this term, submaximal, is so close to the u- ubiquitously used suboptimal mm-hmm. that people confuse submaximal with suboptimal. Do not make that mistake. Now, I let it happen with my athletes when they make it because I know it's just a, it's just a verbal slip. But it's deep. Because it is maximal. I mean, it is optimal. It is incredibly optimal being submaximal. It's never, <laughs> sometimes. Oh, a, you know, you're saying, yeah.
1: So, submaximal is a metric. Suboptimal is a quality.
0: is a quality. And that, qual- we want to be sure. We have a problem
1: thinking that slower is not quality. Correct. Yeah, that's fucked up. That's fucked up, and it's baked, it's
0: baked into the model. Yeah, now you know More why I'm
1: conservative in warding off kind of
0: like unwarranted fatigue. And is, now you'll see why when it happens, when those words come out, why I get flared, I get triggered. I totally get triggered when people say that. But I know that they're coming from a good place. But I do want to make that 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 definition of submaximal means that you're not going. You're going below the threshold of what's the hardest thing you could do, or you're in the zone of doing below what's maximal for you sure. in terms of volume, in terms of. of of, of of speed, of effort, of all those things. But it's still highly optimal, incredibly optimal, okay? Mm-hmm. but Because the first zone is effort. Learning to calibrate effort, getting comfortable with effort, realizing there's a spectrum of paces and that your effort goes along that spectrum of paces. And then if you want to, you can bring data metrics into that. Yeah, this morning,
1: actually, I decided that because I don't have marathon paces locked in right now, that I was going to do, or I almost asked you before the workout, uh, the rate of perceived effort. Um, do you have? I didn't even want to ask you that before, so I just picked seven.
0: Yeah. So I would put that. So what this workout is, this workout's a very unusual workout. Yeah. It's a six point five to start. Yeah. And it ends at about a seven point five. You is, don't want to go to an eight. If you go to an eight, better to bail. That's exactly
1: where out. I ended up. I was like, no man, I'm at like an eight tipping over a nine. I'm like, I'm done. Stop. I'm done here.
0: Yeah. And, and and that's why the recovery's ninety seconds. And I right. always tell people, do not, like, can we play with the recovery? Not in this session. Interesting. it's the thing that will tell you that you're going too fast.
1: Interestingly enough, yeah, the paces, the data then corroborated a decent, you know, marathon style pacing system at like 620. I was like, but that's like my, that's like a cruise and half marathon time yeah. for me so it wasn't exactly like but it was
0: better it wasn't like a 610 or anything but it was like okay this is interesting but it was 82 degrees yeah you hadn't done any quality work in months right any speed work in months so it's it is about right given the conditions given your it's condition and your context and you felt this is what I'm saying about this effort this is mm-hmm. why it's so optimal why it's so good for you is instead of using the metrics to design what you're doing you're using your efforts to do that and when you have have a window of time where you're not focused on a goal race that's not right in front of you you give yourself the grace and the flexibility to learn that and if i if if i if somebody said to me what's the one thing athletes could do to improve their running guaranteed improvement and i would say learning to run by effort and, but it's very hard to learn to run by effort when you've got a race approaching rapidly. Because the race is gonna require you to run a certain pace per mile, and you need to lock into the effort zone, idea, matrix mindset that's required for, I wanna go sub three, okay? Then you need to be ready to go 645 to 650 per mile for a marathon. Dead. And so you have to kind of lock into that mode, and especially, if, like we've got some girls going for an Olympic trials qualifying standard this, this fall. So, yeah, I'm a big effort person, but right now we're not doing efforts. Doing, Even in the heat, mm-hmm. I'm like, today's not an effort day. Today's a day you need to tile, you need to lock a little bit more into your marathon pace or the zone because you're going to need, because we don't we're not going to get cool weather with enough time to give you all the metrics that you need to have. So we need to stay in that zone a little bit and then have you suffer a little bit there so that when on race day, the weather's better and the conditions are better, you're like, oh, I can, I got this. It'll feel a little bit easier.
1: I have a... I have an idea maybe there is a third phase of training which is base phase and then um maybe like a month phase of just uh dialing in and getting attuned to effort pacing and then but it's like almost like we would wear the watch and have the data but we would cover it up or put tape over the watch or whatever and then kind of retroactively understand what that data is like saying after then drawing some pacing conclusions about our effort and then locking into what we all tend to do 98% of the time which is reverse engineer what our goal pace is for the (laughs) race so it's like we're gonna do that that it asks backwards anyway so I actually think that it would be cool to maybe implement a well, month or so of ju- or maybe not a month but maybe it's a workout every week or during a base phase or something to like really get in touch with actually to what that.
0: i would do was for you because you're because you're doing an ironman i don't know that i would do that so focus on that so much i mean i might because it's 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 not going to hurt you there's no harm in it at all. You'll learn a lot of things. For a marathoner, I would say it's incredibly valuable because that'll give them a reference point. I'm thinking of marathon future. land right now. Okay. So in a marathon perspective, it gives you a reference point. Mm-hmm. So now you've got our RPE, a rate of perceived exertion or an effort mm-hmm. that is a that is locked into um, where that zone is yeah. and then you can stay in that zone and then you know what it is and then you know when you're having a bad day that that's just a bad day blah sure. blah blah um, so then the second reason the first reason to, to do um, very paced training um, model in a, in a in preparation for ultra or Ironman um, is number two is what we call economy so this is where your body starts to learn to work at the same to to get faster based on the same energetic load on the based on the same amount of juice you're putting into it that I'm putting in this juice at 10k pace then when I go back to half pace or go back to marathon pace I I'm better able to regulate and use the energy the juice the the systems to get there now you can think about that from a fueling perspective you can think about that from um uh and I like to call it energetics, but the one thing about the energetics model is that it's very confusing and it gets into Wooland and it gets into other stuff and people don't, people just want to know, they want to know things about energy that we can't really talk about. Just like... Um, whatever we have in this world that's why people are attracted to people, or what love is, or what anger and hatred is. What are those? Those are energetics. Mm-hmm. But if we start talking about that, people get weird. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, oh, yeah. feelings and emotions, feelings and emotions. But that is what it is. It's like, so economy is the feelings and emotions reg- regulation at faster paces allow you to be more subtle, nuanced, uh, capable, have a greater capacity to use those energies, emotions, and feelings appropriately. At slower paces. Thinking about this from an Ironman perspective is hugely valuable coming off the bike because yes, you've got some you got some effort that you're going out at, but now you're like, okay, but I know that if I put and you can actually push it a little bit to get some recalibration, that would be also beneficial yeah, to like say, just- "Oh, I'm going to go for a half marathon pace just for eight for, for 400 meters. And guess what will happen? Because you're locked into that and those those gears have been turned on. I like to say that you've you've turned the lights on in that room. When you go there and then you slide back to the pace you want to run, you're like, ooh, I can do this. Mm-hmm. Like, this is economical. The economy is raised to a much higher level. So you're spending less fuel. So it'd be like, it's like your, your fuel economy. Mm-hmm. Like in one vehicle... In your Tacoma, in my Tacoma, our fuel economy is like 19 miles per gallon. But in my Jetta, it's like 42 miles per gallon. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, like, that's what it is. It's like, okay, you now have an understanding and you're better able to have that economy. Like, your economy's there. That so makes that's, total sense. Now, the third thing is what we call efficiency. So, but again, this is these two are corroborate. These two are really closely mm-hmm. linked. But the economy is the energetics, the feeling, emotional state, and the energy of it. The efficiency is the actual biomechanics of it—that it's actually smoother and easier. And your body is like trained to do that. It's like pushing the pendulum. It's like stretching yourself out so you can come back comfortably. And it's you like do a that- race car. Yes. As you're using as a daily driver, needs to go out on the track every once in a while it's just gotta, to kind of like... It's got to kick out the jams. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's good to kick out the jams if you're not in your main base phase. Like, yeah. if you're in the base phase, this is the real danger. This is why I... This is the marathon model. The thing about the marathon model that I am so in, in, in... So very... So wish that runners would listen to that you cannot kick out the jams when you're in your base phase. You can play with it. You can go submaximal, but it has to be submaximal. But once you move into a phase of getting after your races, now you can punch it, and you need to punch it. But once you punch it, your body shifts, and it goes into race mode. It's, you're out of base phase. You're into. And what is that? This is a huge question for me. I mean, this, I've been running for almost 50 years. I've been racing for almost that amount of time. I haven't raced recently, but I have a race coming up soon. So I've been thinking about this for a long time. Like, what is going on there? Like, That's fascinating. Let's
1: really extract that detail. When you punch it, you have the ability, from what I understand, to say goodbye,
0: base face. You, actually, even if you're not saying goodbye, base face, you are you are going to be going against every single evolutionary objective that the human body has and then the human spirit has because once you lock into going quicker you got to keep that ball rolling mm. we're no good at going forward and coming back Cause as soon as we start slipping back we're like sisyphus in the rock like we're not, oh now your mindset's going to get completely fucked because you're not Moving and there's that, that subtle energy that just keeps pushing to keep going forward and can you re,
1: do you think that you can reset that clock?
0: Well, so you can, but let me tell you how you like reset. Fast start. Let's let's keep it in base phase. Like we went too fast for three weeks, you no, know. Like let's, so, there's let's only one way back. to do it. There's only one way to do it. It's the same thing we do when people get overtrained. It's the same thing that happens when people are in a um, serious, uh, uh, like they're iron deficient. They get really low on iron deficiency. When we start seeing numbers in the like 10, you know, the, like the number is your ferritin levels at a 10, or your, in some cases, the ferritin levels at a five or a two. When for a woman and they need to be in the high 20s, high 30s, or 40s, men are in the 50s sometimes. Like when you get that low, your oxygen carrying capacity is really, really low. So the only way to handle that, the only way to handle uh, overtraining is, aerobic only running at a very slow easy pace period nothing else so now you're you're now you have to now you are getting in, a, in an educational model you got to go back to the last grade i'm asking for a friend yeah you got to go back <laughs> to the last grade yeah you got to go back oh, to the last grade. it's if, so fascinating but that's where this point about submaximal is so critical so if you play in the yeah. submaximal range you're not going to trigger that you'll have a session or two where you kind of kick out the jams, but you then bring yourself back. One session or two sessions is not a big deal. What happens is- when What about they, the close? So again, I don't think that there's a problem with the close as long as what it's doing, as long as you're coming back to, in fact, a close is a great way to to um, allow for the- The, the economy the, maybe? The growth model that we're looking for, that you're, this is the, one of the things that's happening um, with the mafetone method or with a base phase is, are you growing? And you have to believe, because you cannot see, you don't get to physically see many of those metrics, but a close and a long run can help you do that as long as you're careful with it and then as long as you come back to another week or two weeks of really, really staying with it. Now, again, I still think you can do everything all the time. I think you can do some 5K pace work, some 10K pace work, some half marathon pace work personally, as long as it's all sub maximal. But once you punch it, once you go into efficiency, once you start pushing the outside edge of what you're physically capable of, you are now out of base and you are now in race. You are in race mode. Like it or not. This is why it's so dangerous not to take a base phase because then your nervous system is constantly in race phase. Jesus. It's too long. Fascinating. It's too
1: long. So here's the money question of the whole whole idea because I know everybody listening is just like me. We all (laughs) want to know how to get better yeah okay yeah so that being said if we're looking at a quadrant system and we want to go up into the right we want to be efficient speed is is on the x-axis efficiency is on the y-axis we just want to see ourselves up and to the right Mm -hmm. do we think linearly in this model do we think annually do we think seasonally and this is a, this is probably another, you know, topic for another time because then there's, there's got to be some type of algorithm or equation that says that includes age. It includes, you know, training cycles, you know, race picks, race distances. Mm -hmm. And so let's assume that we want to optimize. Um, And time is the constant. We have time. We We have a few years. We want to become the best athletes that we can become in five, 10 years. And we want to dedicate our entire 30s. In my case, I've dedicated all of my 30s into optimizing my athletic abilities. And... What I'm finding a lot of the time is that I'll go, it's more of like a a rolling hill. It's like I'm up and I'm back down and then I'm up and then I'm back down and then I'm up. Is there a way that we can take those rolling hills and have a slight
0: increase in the elevation going up into the right on that quadrant system? Well, this is why the Maffetone method is so effective. Yes, you can. And this is why I argue for a modified Maffetone. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, because as long as you're going... A half a tone? half a tone. uh, (laughs) uh, Yeah. I think that you you can. um, There are a couple things that are really important here um, to frame it. Number one, you need to set your intention, and you need to know the time frame for that intention. So is this a 12-month process, an 18-month process? Is it a three-month process? What's the duration? Because that's going to have a lot to do with how you distribute load and how you manage that. So if somebody was only going to give me three months, I would be like, let's go... um, let's go, uh, but then I had a 12 week, at least 12 weeks to prepare for a marathon. Then I would do only aerobic stuff and I would go pretty strict marathon. I would stay pretty strict. But if I have 18 months, well, no way I'm going to, like what I recommended to you with a 12 month window was, oh no, no, no. We're going to play with a little bit of everything, but you've got to stay in that economy. You cannot go to efficiency. You can't punch it. You have to stay submaximal. You have to play with the different things and you need to learn your body. Because here's the thing. I'm convinced that what happens, we talked about this a couple times, and I, I feel like a broken record at some point, so maybe it'll get through to people, hopefully people aren't getting bored with it, but there's something about the 30K distance in a marathon, but there's a threshold everywhere in every event where um, the work load gets really high, and the challenge gets really really high and the ability to hold pace starts to really fluctuate and become yeah. much harder to do and at that point the nervous system starts to throw in all kinds of question marks to try to get you to check to see do you really care about this and are you going to be okay and at that point you're you're dealing in with like what i call self-trust can you trust yourself if you don't have this phase where you've rolled up down downhills, loosely, flexibly, where you gave yourself grace, but you also held yourself back. What do you do when that happens? What is the thing that you gain the most from in your sobriety? Trusting yourself. I guarantee you it's trusting yourself because one of the things about addiction is like you, it's in control. You're not in control. So you learn to trust yourself. You have to regain that trust. know, um, You start to adapt. And then you start to That's adapt. That's the life on life's terms uh, statement is,
1: that always is, is, is coming up. in in the meetings and everything like that, it's just like, you know, you have to learn to adapt
0: and to trust that and the what you line is going to gonna be there. You're adapting to that you have an, a natural innate goodness. You have a natural innate enoughness. Those things, because when we're racing, we really are trying to get something we don't have. So we're really not enough because we're because we're not there yet. If you're trying to go sub three and you haven't gone sub three and that's your main goal, then you're not enough. But you have to have a place. So that's really dangerous when you're talking about trusting yourself. This is why I say there's many traumas happening to people in races because they are not yet prepared for the thing that they're doing and they don't trust themselves to do it. It's a a recipe for disaster. So the main thing I'm working on is trying to gain self-trust, but you have to have an effort-based system that allows you to do that. So the other thing that's important here, there's another piece of this, is to recognize something that's really important. And I've talked about this before on this podcast, but I'm going to reiterate it again. All training systems are designed, almost all training systems are designed as if the human is an algorithm slash engineering problem. And we're not. We're a living system. It there, Things do not move in these like really regimented fixed step-by-step-by-step process if you're gonna go up you have to come down that's what a living system does Mm -hmm. it's it's the Tao it's the nature of life it's seasonality it's everything everything's changing all the time if it sucks just wait a few minutes it'll get better if it's amazing hold on now it's gonna go back to shit right we those who accept that and I think this is a real problem culturally for our culture is we have, especially with AI coming on board now even more, of, of, of it operating in that model of an engineering problem, you need to build the living system aspect into it. So I would be in a three-month process or an 18-month process of doing this. I would actually be really monitoring and putting my finger on the pulse of that athlete and saying, how is it going for you? Mm-hmm. And so your choice today to come out and do six to- five, potentially six times a mile at your critical velocity pace might look like you're going off script. But in essence, as a part of a living system, as long as you don't punch it, you're okay you got to, you're exploring, but you need to come back to the phase you're in, repeat back to the phase you're in. And in an 18 month model or 12 month model, that's a lot easier to do. In a three month model, if I only have that much time, what I'm worried is now you're gonna go three months plus 12 months, now you got a six month training program. There's no program, I no longer do 24 week programs because no one can concentrate the living system for whatever's going on with the human species, we cannot concentrate for beyond 18 weeks. I think 18 weeks is too long. I prefer a 16 week marathon cycle. Uh, but I can I, I kick ass on a 12-week cycle. I actually prefer a 12-week cycle if I've got a base phase. Mm-hmm. But in, let's say my group, they're in an everything all the time model. So what I do is I just keep playing back and forth. So they're just ebbing and flowing in a way that I can't really explain. When somebody asks me to explain it, if I had to sit there and write a book about what my system is, it would be like caveat after caveat after caveat yeah. because it's not the way we operate. Um, and 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 I don't think... Because there's no science when it comes to...
1: Understanding uh, the feelings and emotions associated with
0: there is there is a science, but it's not, but it's not biology. It's 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 psychology. Yeah, it's It's psychology.
1: psychology. (laughs) And so, to answer the question that I gave you earlier, how do we optimize? What I've come back to is that I I see there's a change this in including a base phase. What I've learned in this is I'm not as attached to the goal, which is interesting. I'm more attached to the process now. I'm more obsessed about where I am right now as opposed to where I'm gonna be
0: in six months. It's fascinating. Well, especially if you believe in your model. Because now you're, you don't have to worry about it because you already know you're going to be better. But it's also enjoyable, and it comes with a lot of ex- it. because you're going to be better. Well, you th- already know. So you, I don't even go that far. You don't. As, as but I'm like, I, I don't, I can't think about but that. What if could, you weren't seeing results? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the because you're seeing results. So you got to realize you think you're focused on the process. This is why this comes back to another conversation, which is another whole episode, but that's the difference between a goal and an expectation. So you have a goal and your goal you're going to achieve. Because you're already improving. What did you say to me today on the on the on the road? You're like, oh man, I'm, I'm already like, so I'm already so far ahead. I'm already so far ahead. So you don't. So you're actually your goal. You're gonna have to recalibrate. You already know you're gonna have to recalibrate your goal at some point in time, somewhere in January, February, March, t- because you're currently already aerobically further along than you've ever been before. So assuming you stay healthy, then you then you'll be in a you'll be in a better place. And so it doesn't make any sense to sort of dial in on your result. You'll just know you're going to be better than you've ever been before because you're already better than you've ever been before. Realize that is, that already is a result. Okay, you already know there's going to be a result. No, there's no guarantees in life. You could get hit by a car. You could r- get run off the road. You could have a hundred night. Or the game.
1: race intention might be fundamentally different, which is let's race within our means and actually, let's understand what actually, that feels actually
0: like. Actually, if if I'm having any effect on you whatsoever, that's absolutely going to happen.
1: That's what it, what's interesting to me is like I'm going to be more optimized for the races.
0: But upcoming you've, because you've enjoyed the process because but my believe- intention
1: might not be rooted in Fuck this shit. Yes. I'm go- my legs are going to fall. I used to say they're going to take me. I'm either going to get my goal or I'm going off in an ambulance. Yeah, that's a really cognitively challenged That's a, that's not you, you good mental. You see what I'm that's saying? Not good it, psychological I used to think like hey, that's the way to race, right? <laughs> and I'm thinking, I don't think I have that ability right now to, it's to not think real. like
0: that. And unless and, and we're in an step existen- and this is the thing. This, is, this goes back to those conversations we had about how the model for someone like... Um, what's his name, who, who did the four and four, the four hour, four hour, we were talking about him, the, the military guy. Goggins? Goggins, like that's the Goggins model, right? And I, I don't, don't understand that. Well, I do, because I, I do understand it, I do, but I think, it's a, I think it's a limited view of the world. I don't think the world operates that way. And if you have kids, you know that, because you realize that there's a fluidity and flexibility, yeah. and if you're like, I'm gonna get out the door, like what happened today for our podcast episode, I'm gonna get out the door and be somewhere by a certain time. You are not in control of all the things, right? Mm-hmm. And if I think I am in control of things, then I have a terrible relationship with my daughter because I'm screaming and yelling at her because we haven't gotten out the door. And that's not, co- that's not good hygiene. That's not good for the human species. And what thing in the world matters so much that being a little bit late is, o- is not okay for? Like, give me a fucking break, dude. Like, I don't <laughs> understand it. That's why I, don't, I understand the Goggins yeah. mentality. But if you take that and you stretch it into real life, you st- people. this is what people do, which is why I call it dangerous. Because yeah. it's not good psychological hygiene. What's much better is to recognize that the flu- what life is is a fluid, flexible, giving and taking, moving and flowing, and, and getting aligned with that. But that does not work in an engineering model, and it doesn't work in a, you know, kill them all model either, right? And so what we're arguing for here sounds soft and weak and woo, but it is actually the way we have been evolved to There's only a one time when our lives are – or the lives of ourselves or our offspring are threatened. Will we move into the model of kill them all? Mm -hmm. We we reserve it for warrior mode, period. But yet here we are all training in warrior mode all the time. And then you add to it algorithms and data. Now you've got an engineering model you see it's like fucked up yeah. this is why I want to steal the culture, but you you've got to realize what the culture's doing and recognize it as and that and then in essence what you're doing there is tapping out and that is hard for people to do So this book I'm working on about running a beautiful race mm-hmm. the first before the book starts, there's going to be a, a warning label on the early pages so this is going to piss you off. you are, <laughs> you are, you are likely not going to be able to do this the first time through. Yeah. You're probably going to fail, but please pick the book back up because it's cuz what it's talking about is good for you and even if it takes you forever. There's a great book I read uh, the, I cannot more highly recommend the book The Art of the the War of Art. Mm -hmm. by um, Stephen Pressfield. Because it talks about how much resistance we have to the things that we really want and how we allow resistance to take over from the things that we want to really achieve. And what's gonna happen is many people when they do something like that, it's gonna create so much resistance that the resistance will win. And so then that's okay. Just be gentle with yourself and come back to it. But what I'll say is there's like, this this is hazardous to your, well, it's hazardous to the way your worldview, it's hazardous to all these other things, and you're likely to fail. So be wary of reading on. And then the next page was, if you made it to this page, then just know it works. Yeah. And it'll change your life in so many ways, but it's not for everybody, it's okay. But it is going in, it's swimming upstream. It's going completely against the way that we've been operating. And I think that right now, the reason why this book needs to be written is because people are hungry for it. Because they've now done the engineering model and realized they're not getting the results they want and it's not really functioning because they're a living system. Or B, that the Goggins kill them all model doesn't really work because how in the world can you win every battle? It's not like no one wins every battle. Like you just look at it in basketball, in all sports. It's about ebb and flow and coming back and you know we love that part of the story but yet a Goggins model and again I'm not beating up on Dave Goggins he's, he's, he's the guy's a badass right mm-hmm. epic badass but he, he in essence he's just like it, that model when people adopt it without thinking through through it is it really relevant for them because for Goggins it's relevant we talked about this before but that's his psychology that's the way he works that's that's his trauma that's how he's working through his life but I don't think that really works for most people. Anyway, we went off. No, we I want love to fe- it. We no, to feel- I,
1: I think it's absolutely in the spirit of what is optimization. Like, where, what, what are we doing here? What is time? You, you know, all those kind of esoteric questions about why we're doing what we're doing and training how we're training. I think it's fascinating, man. I, it, I got exactly what I needed from this conversation today well, let me let me. you know i
0: said that we were gonna have four oh sure things. Yeah. there's a fourth one that i haven't talked about yet the f- just to re- just to reiterate the first one is about effort the second one's about economy the third one was that about efficiency, efficiency. the last one is about mindset yeah so this is the, th- the reason why you change gears and you shift gears is because you want to have mental gears that you can play through and these are beyond the feeling effort so the feeling state, emotional state and beyond like kicking out the jams and knowing where you're at and self-trust. It's a lot more about having that ability to have more gears mentally. And when we do that, I think especially for people who are doing ultra based stuff, you have the ability to ebb and flow a little bit better because your capacity is increased. Like your, your capacity to handle a wide variety of things is greater because you've played in those fields before. Um, a climb, how do I shift between, when do I shift in a climb between walking and running? This is a real question for a lot of ultramarathoners and people who are coming from the running world, they don't ever want to walk because mm-hmm. well, you don't walk. Yeah, good luck. There's even, even Killian Jeanette is walking somewhere yeah. along the line. Everybody, even Courtney DeWalter is walking somewhere along the line. So learning to have that capacity by pushing the edge and coming back, it's very, very useful. Now, I don't coach world-class ultra marathoners, and I don't coach world-class triathletes. So I just put that caveat here to say those people who are operating at the highest level, there may be more effective ways of dealing with this. I do work at a very high level with runners, though, and all these things play out absolutely true for running. I mean, this is primarily a running podcast, even though we've been doing a Mm -hmm. lot more triathlon stuff, which I think is really good. I just wanna make that comment that like, hey, this works for someone trying to break um, an American record, a world record, a personal record, or just get through it. Using a multi-phasal, multi-paced, varied approach is essential and important physiologically, psychologically, emotionally, um, all the way down the line. And and then in the long run, what you're gonna get is the most important, the most valued thing on before as you're standing on a starting line, which is the ability to trust yourself. Mm. And if you can trust yourself, um you're there's nothing you can't get through. Now you might not get the objective, but that's okay because you'll have a real reason for why you didn't get it and you'll know it was hot, it was hard, I had a stomach problem, I had this, I had that. And you'll be going back and forth and wondering if you're a wimp or if you should have pushed harder, if you should have gone for it. But at the end of it, you should be able to say there was a result. I got done what I wanted, achieved the goal. Or B, there was a reason, the reason I didn't get it. And, and, then, and now you're able to, and it might be, like, again, there may be 100 reasons for why that happened. And though some of those reasons are no good and that you need to be working on. But you're not, then your identity is not so wrapped up around that. That's the other thing that happens with the Goggins model. Or the engineering model. Is that somewhere along the line, you must suck. Mm -hmm. You must be terrible at what you do if you don't achieve the goal. Fuck that. Mm -hmm. Fuck that, that's not really real. You don't hold your relationship to that standard. Do you hold your relationship with your mother to that standard? Fuck no. (laughs) You suck as a son and she sucks as a mom, but you love each other because you do your best and you love each other. I mean, it's like, stop with this binary, like black and white scenario that doesn't exist in the world. We're living systems. It's fluid. It's flexible. Learn to grow, 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 grow. Golly, I just got to step back for That's a second. That's the culture, though. It is. That's that. that That's what I want to steal. That's what I want to recalibrate and reformate and say, formulate and say, let's, can we get beyond these, Simple binary. They used
1: to do it in those 70s ads. All those fucking people were laughing their ass off running in the jogging suits hot as hell. Polyester jogging suits. They they had it. They had it made. We just put the performance in in into the everyman area, you know. Just a little bit too hot. Now we need to bring some of that joy back, some of that feel back. Maybe not the cigarettes. (laughs) Maybe not. (laughs) Maybe not. Maybe not. I don't know though. They say that. Nah, I'm not even going to talk about it. Yeah. Who
0: knows? Who knows? Who knows what? Who knows what will happen with? Yeah. Well, Michael, this was really fun. I thought thought it was a good one. I think we 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 moved across a lot of different fields, but I think it's um, useful, hopefully helpful for people. I love our.
1: For the record, I love our anchor and running because that's what this podcast is for um and for anybody listening the first race i ever did first two races i ever did were long distance triathlons you know in, in, a, in an olympic and in, in a full distance triathlon so and then i had all this like aerobic energy and somebody said well don't let it go to waste go qualify for the boston marathon Because you'll never be more fit than Mm. what you are right now. And I was like, oh, shit. And you have no idea what your real fitness is. And that's when the fascination began is like, what are these two worlds? Why do they collide? And one of the things that I like to, I think I can bring to the table to my community or my group or whatever is that I do have that duality and And I think that's what the multi-sport world brings to the table in a heavy way is like the conservative energy. Yes. And, and it's something that I see from afar in the running world that it does lack a little bit of perspective. Um, Or recognition of the energetic
0: needs for the race. Right.
1: Yeah. And it's, and, and so if we're doing anything for the runners out there, understanding this side is only beneficial. And it's been beneficial to me personally. It's been beneficial in working in a program. You know, um, it's been beneficial for the discovery and the kind of like the assessment of multisport versus running. It's been fascinating. So this has been a very, a very, um, very nice conversation for me.
0: Thanks for having it. You bet, brother. It's so much fun. Um, for those of you listening, we are. Uh, at the if depending on when you're getting this, we are in the early first week or second week of August, um, and I'm just going to plug because I don't have any other opportunities, to, many opportunities to plug it. But I've got a new podcast coming out that's just going to be it's it's me, not with Michael and John, but with some other with some other co-hosts as well. Uh, very different from this podcast in the way that this podcast is conversations. Most of those are going to be really targeted towards content. Um, The podcast will be called Running On Purpose. It's actually a reboot of a podcast I had in 2019, 2020. And um, if you're interested in this and you're interested in that kind of stuff and you want to hear me get a little more uh, granular (laughs) and specific, then that's going to be um, available to you. So look for it. First week of September should be the first inaugural, um, first intro And then we're going from there. I've got a physical therapist who's being a co-host with me. I've got um, my good friend, Jason Brooks, who is an ultra runner, but he's very interested in um, classical philosophy, the Stoics, uh, suffering, these kinds of topics. And then, um, yeah, and then I have another co-host I'm hoping will jump in, but he hasn't fully committed. So we'll see what happens with that. But anyway, thanks for letting me push that just because people can be starting to look for it and I once it gets started I probably will never push it public publicize it again because that's just how I operate so
1: ah, you will but It'll I'm so good.
0: excited about doing it it's again I'm so excited one. about getting back in that saddle Um, this this project will continue because there's nothing like it and those that podcast I'm gonna have to prepare my ass off for it this one we don't prepare much we just come in present and try to be respectful of each other's space, and then vibe and jive. It's it's a it's a it's a jazz it's a free jazz play. It's what's what we're doing here, free mm-hmm. jazzing on on a basic theme. Um, that is going to be far more um, engineered, planned out, and executed in a in a clear and deline- clearly delineated way. So that's badass. Anyways, yeah, that's it's cool. what
1: people. A lot of people want that.
0: I think they do, and I think we're going to be covering a wide range of topics. To keep it fresh and to keep, you know, because I've got multiple, um, I'll be the constant, but I'll have multiple hosts that the flavor will change a little bit each time they listen to it. So, um, and then- Easy way to put it is I do this podcast to learn something
1: and explore- that's not the idea of your next podcast no it's not it's 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 some of what you ask it's kind
0: of some of what you asked me to do but when we're together we just play with it yeah because because of your curiosity though michael i mean that's the thing that's so much fun with you is the level of curiosity that you're bringing to this is what makes it work um and you're you know you're curious about why coaches do what coaches do and now you're living it out in your own life of being self-coached in a really beautiful way which is really cool and again as a self-coached being self-coached you doesn't you doesn't mean you don't have coaches it just means that you're the boss of the overall program but you've got a swim coach and you've you've got a running coach Ooh, I don't coach you, but you, you've got a curated, uh, you've got a curated buffet of options in terms of what days you can show up and what load you want to carry and what you want to do. Point is I've got good guides. Yes, you do. Yes.
1: And, and I wouldn't, you know, I would put it more in the coached category than the uncoached. Yeah. You know, it's more of like, but that's what self, it's an expeditionary of guy of with guides. And to me that, at where I'm at in my life right now, that's just fascinating because I realize that I need that type of fluidity to balance out my job.
0: well, you're also so curious that if you were following one basic plan it's, it's, you would feel you would feel really really closed in you would feel like where's the creativity allowed now in my program I allow that creativity through a lot of other definitely a, other aspects but that, but I have to design it in a way that allows those people who want me to tell them what to do and point at them and say mm-hmm. do this but like today I mean somebody came to me and said um, why I, what are we why are we doing we're doing critical velocity that's what I have to do today right I'm like no I said this is an optional workout what do you mean there's no such thing as an optional workout I was like yeah, there is in my system. It means you do it or you don't do it. It's okay. Either way, it's, you know, your wife didn't do it because it was, a she's tired and she's raised her volume and she's, and her down weeks are absorbing a lot of shit because she's been hammering on the up weeks. That's what she said to me. She said, I feel for the first time that these down weeks are making me more tired. I feel more like shit on the down week. I said, that means you're training. Yeah, (laughs) That means your body's adapting Uh, to the uh load. I
1: remember your down weeks (laughs) feel
0: almost poopy. twice as hard as the up week yeah. Yes. It's, and then the next week though that next week that first week of training you're like whoo yeah. you know again this is those four systems there's an effort thing like you know where your effort is yeah. there's an economy that you start to gain and you start to know then you start punching it in with that efficiency you start kicking out the jams a little bit mm-hmm. but then what your mindset is really plays into so much of what's going on there it's like a four leveled approach that you can kind of yeah. filter through and use anyway I dig it yep cool thanks guys thanks for listening Godspeed.